0: Why hello everybody, it's me again. Uh, you got one week of break and now you're back so I apologize um, that's a bad thing. Uh, I, was, uh, I wasn't going to say anything but I feel like I need to as a public service announcement. I've been sick for 14 days um, and so it, it, I've had a sinus infection and a double ear infection and it, the thing won't go away. So. Um, Uh, This is the farthest I've been from a box of tissues in two weeks, so uh, if you get a little bit more of sniffles and coughs here, I apologize, so that's just a public service announcement for you guys be praying for my recovery here. Uh, So this is an exciting weekend because uh, tomorrow, officially, there is another Rock Community Church that is going to be holding weekend services every week in Heath, Texas, and so... we're, we're so excited that this has come about. Some of you guys probably don't even know this, but, uh, well, you might know this if you know us. We had no idea what we were doing when we were talking about starting a church plant. Um, we actually said no, like, five times in the beginning, and the Lord just kept saying, eh, yes, uh, and, and that's really been the journey for us this whole time, and so when we, when we say uh, we have a church plant, what I mean by that is the Lord... Uh, has has taken some people from this church and has done an amazing thing and started another church. And so the Lord gets the glory for it. We're excited for what he's going to do in Heath. Tomorrow is the launch. Uh, if you don't know, we had a crew of guys, seven guys, five on bikes and two in a support vehicle head on out to Heath on their bikes. This is a picture of them uh, leaving at 5.30 a.m., I believe, 6.30, something like that, uh, out to Heath. Um, and uh, they've been kind of traveling out. When they get there, they're going to kind of help... Uh, facilitate some of the stuff going on at church so that those that are a part of the team that is launching the church can kind of interact with the community. So I think this is just fantastic. Uh, Mark told me yesterday that the whole ride yesterday was in the rain, the whole way. And so it was pretty miserable. And um, Nicole Miller, who's uh, on staff here, she actually flew out to just last minute to go, sent us a video today of it dumping rain. So um, a lot of the activities tomorrow are outside. I know Texas weather changes quickly, so let's just pray that that clears up and uh, they have an amazing time. So isn't that a good group right there? They all got vests on. So. All right. Well, what if I, what if I told you that uh, starting tomorrow that people are no longer going to accept any more prayer requests from you? okay? And what I mean, what I mean by this is that today, you get to submit your your last prayer request, your final prayer request for the rest of your life. So today, you get the opportunity that you can tell others that they'll pray for you, but you have to tell them what they're going to pray for you for, and you only get 100 words. That's all you get, okay? That's all you get, Right. So no one's going to pray for you from this moment on except for those 100 words that you tell them to pray for, right? What would your prayer request be? What would it be? What would your petition be that you would want others to pray for you on your behalf? What would it be? Now, I know something popped into your heads, and I am so curious to know what it is, and I can't know, so I'm going to speculate, <laughs> all right? I'm sure some of you thought, because this is, this is one of mine, some of you thought, man, I would pray for favor. I would ask for favor that the Lord would have favor on me, the Almighty God would have favor on me, show favor to us. Some of you might immediately thought of health, and that's probably because you or someone you know is going through uh, uh, an illness or a disease or something that's troubling, pray for health, longevity. I'm sure some of you misunderstood the assignment uh, and immediately thought of someone else and what you would pray for them. Good for you, but that wasn't the assignment. We're talking about yourself for a second, okay? It's the one time that happens in church, okay? Maybe some of you thought about success. Maybe grace. Lord, give me grace. Mercy, or riches, various things. There's got to be someone here that thought about food, right? <laughs> There's got to be at least one person here that went, I, I want to eat as much ice cream as I can without gaining any weight, right? You guys are all starting to second guess. Now, whatever it was you thought of immediately, that one sounds better. Okay. So there's a lot of things that you you could ask for. Many of them are fantastic. Is there a perfect answer to this question? No, and I'm definitely not the right person to tell you what that is because the ice cream one sounds better and better every time I go over it. But I think the Apostle Paul is a little bit more qualified to tell us, uh, give us a little more direction on this of what what the prayer request would be that would be good for us to pray if we could only get one, right? And so luckily in our passage today what we have is we have Paul's prayer for the Colossian church. Paul thanks God for the Colossian church, for their faithfulness and their love for one another, but then he also says that he continues to pray for them, and then he tells us what he is praying for them, which is pretty cool. So if you guys would turn to Colossians 1, Starting in verse 9, we'll, uh, we'll go through this together and see what it is that Paul prays for the church. Starting in verse 9, says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord." to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we get this this insight uh, from the Apostle Paul of what he prayed for this church, and we ask, Lord, that we would now learn maybe what he would pray for us in this church, in the Rock Community Church in Anaheim Hills, Lord, that you would help us to see which things should be a priority in our lives, which things we should look forward to, and how you want us to live, Lord. So uh, help us now as we open your word and discover these things together. In Jesus' name, amen. So what what does Paul give us here in this passage? What does he pray for the church? So first thing that I see right away is what is the occasion for this prayer? What is the occasion for this prayer? In verse 9 right away, Paul, Paul says this. He says, for this reason also, since the day we've heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you. So what we get here is Paul saying something like, hey, there's something that sparked us sparked us to be in prayer for you. There's a reason, and the reason why we're so eager to pray for you, the reason why Paul and Timothy have not ceased in their prayers for the Colossian people is because Paul and Timothy heard of it. That's what it says, right? They heard of it. Cool, Paul, thanks for that. All right. What is the it? What is the it? It makes me wonder a little bit, like, did the Colossian church have the it factor? You know what I mean? Did they just have it? No. That's not what it means. Do you guys remember a few weeks ago during our reading service, Michael Camarena was up here and he, he, uh, he said that if you're studying the Bible, there's three really important factors when, when studying the Bible. Do you guys remember what those three factors were? Yeah. Context, context, and context, right? So what we're going to do is we're going to do a little Bible study 101 right now, and let's dive into the context for a second and discover what the it is. What is the it? What's the occasion for this prayer? What is the thing that's motivated them to pray in this way for this church? So you could either find it in this passage or in front of this passage, and here we actually find the it that he's referring to in the previous section in the previous passage. And the way you find it is by comparing verbs. So it says that they've heard of it, and if you look back to verse 4, you see that same verb. It says, since the day we heard. And then it describes what the it is. So starting in verse 3, it says, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, always praying for you, since we heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and the love that you have for all the saints. So the it that is motivating the continual prayers of Paul and Timothy is that they have heard of the Colossians' faith in Jesus Christ and their love for one another. That's the motivation for them to continue to prayer ceaselessly for this church. So simply put, the occasion for prayer, the reason for this continual petition is that the Colossians are people of faith and love. Right? They exhibit the marks, the most simple marks of a true disciple. And this makes me think of something. Paul would not have prayed this particular prayer if this qualification wasn't met for the Colossian church. If the Colossian people were not people of faith, not people who had repented of their sin, turned from their sin and turned toward God, placed their full hope in Him and their trust in Him alone and if, if they wouldn't have done that, Paul would have prayed something completely different. He would be praying for their salvation, their repentance, for their hearts to be open to the message of the gospel because that's the first priority, right? And so there are people in our lives that don't know the Lord. People in our lives that need that first priority still to be met, to be saved from their sin in Christ. And while it's good for us to, to pray for them for a variety of things, we should be unrelenting in our prayers for their salvation. Family, health issues, success, it's all pretty pointless if you spend an eternity separated from Christ. So we need to be a people that are relentlessly praying for the salvation of those that we know to know the Lord. But Paul here, he knows that they know the Lord. He knows that they're displaying marks of a true disciple, and so he prays for them without ceasing, And he prays for them something specific. So take a look at verse 9. And we'll get into what the specifics of this prayer are. He says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, their faith and love, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So Paul prays specifically for those in Colossae, not for favor, not for success, not for health, not for persecution or trial to end in their circumstance, not for comfort to abound in their lives. He prays that we would be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So what does that mean? What does it mean to, be prayed, to pray that they be filled with all spiritual wisdom? Well, first let me point out this word, first word, filled. This word filled is important. The word filled actually comes up in the book of Colossians, and Paul does it often, also in the book of Ephesians, but also very specifically in the book of Colossians, comes up multiple times. You have the word filled, full, fullness, over and over and over again. And many commentators actually propose that the reason why this word's used all the time is that the the heretics that were attempting to deceive with worldly philosophies, one of the things that they were proposing is is that they would be filled with something other than Christ. And so this is in direct opposition to the teaching that's going on in the church. So it's very likely that whatever worldly philosophy that was being pressed into the Colossian church promised fullness. Or that some were proposing that they were not a full part of, of the people of God because they had yet to participate in certain rites and rituals and practices, right? And so what Paul is doing, he's contrasting this idea of this false filling with the thing which truly fulfills, Right? I think it's so easy for people to to see Scripture and to say, man, Scripture is written so long ago from such a different culture that it's not relevant anymore today. It's not relevant anymore today. But this thought should help us to see that that's not necessarily the case. While the culture and the time is progressing on, the human condition remains the same. Because just like those at Colossae, don't we attempt to fill up our lives with anything and everything we can get our hands on? The nuances of the worldly philosophies may have changed, but the general idea, the general issue is still the same. We have a deep longing and desire to find fulfillment and satisfaction and purpose in our lives. And we can seek that fulfillment from things that fill us falsely and leave us in the the end even more unsatisfied, or we can seek true and lasting fulfillment in Christ. So let me say that again. We can seek fulfillment from things that fill us falsely and leave us in the end more unsatisfied, or we can seek true and lasting fulfillment in Christ. Church, it's so clear. We all know this. A nicer car won't fulfill you. More money won't fulfill you. A bigger, nicer house won't fulfill you. Indulging in sexual fantasies and desires doesn't fill you. Releasing stress through drinking and partying drugs doesn't fulfill you. Your sports team winning the title this year won't fulfill you. These things may bring a momentary satisfaction, but that fleeting nature is so clear because year after year, moment after moment, we end up needing more and more and more and more just to receive a little enjoyment, a little relief. True satisfaction, lasting satisfaction, lasting fulfillment is through Jesus. Only Christ can provide a life that is truly fulfilled. So we need to stop chasing false promises of the world that promise satisfaction. Jesus is how you become and stay filled because Jesus is the true bread of life. Now, turn with me, if you will, to John, the Gospel of John, because it, it, Jesus couldn't even make this more clear. right? He couldn't make this more clear. Turn to John 6. And... Uh, let me just read this for you and hear from his own mouth how he says this the crowds are just been fed the feeding of the 5,000 and uh, the crowds have just been fed with bread from Jesus that he had multiplied that's the context for this Jesus says in verse 26 says Jesus answered them and said truly truly I say to you you seek me not because you saw signs but because you ate the loaves and were filled do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him the Father God has set his seal. Therefore they said to him, what shall we do so that maybe we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, what then do you do, you do for a sign so that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it was written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who has given the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. And Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will know, will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. That's true and lasting fulfillment. In John 10.10, 10, Jesus says it even more clear. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So Jesus is the true bread of life. Jesus is the only true life-fulfilling agent. So if we go back to our text, Paul is praying the Colossian church may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. The knowledge of his will. The knowledge of God's will. Not just general knowledge. Not just knowledge. He's not talking about people being smart or educated. He's not. He's praying for a particular knowledge in something specific, specifically in God's will. Right? So the question is, what does it mean? What does God's will mean? Now, I have a way of explaining this to you because I just have this really awesome thing that I get to do, which is I get to work with the youth of this church. Okay? One of the things that you quickly realize when working with teenagers is that the words that they say don't mean the things you think they mean, okay? <laughs> I had a student come up to me a while back in 180. He walked up to me. gave me one of those cool, like, arm in-between hugs, you know, the pat around the back, and he, it was right after a message. I just finished speaking in 180. He comes up, give me one of these hugs, and he's go, he says this. Dude, that was your goat, bro. <laughs> I'll, re- I'll repeat. Dude, that was your goat, bro. Now here's the thing, seriously, okay, here's the thing. I tell a lot of weird stories in 180, like a lot of weird stories, and I genuinely love goats. So it's, and farm animals in general, like I just think they're great. Like literally this week I told a sh- story about a confrontation I had with a sheep, and, and I swear to you that's true, you could ask Chris for verification. So it's possible, you guys, that I had told a story about a goat and he was referring to it and I was just really confused. Um, Uh, but I I really didn't know what he meant. Now, there's a part of me that was a little excited because I have literally, I I love goats. I've always told my wife, I want a goat. Like, it would be cool to get a goat. So I'm thinking maybe he knows that there's like a goat in the parking lot with a bow on it, and when I leave today, (laughs) I get a goat. I'm thinking this is fantastic. I'm really excited about this. Now, I didn't understand what he was saying, but I could tell that it was meant as a compliment. So I literally just said, Thanks, bro, and, and went on with my life. Now, I didn't understand what he was saying here. Now, I'm sure some of, you, some of you might. Some of you already know where this is going, but it turns out he wasn't talking about a goat at all. <laughs> goat, G-O-A-T, is, is an acronym that these young kids, these youngins, use in text message language to say greatest of all time. G-O-A-T. Greatest of all time. So when he came up to me, he said, dude, that was your goat, bro. He, all he was saying was, that was the best message yet. Thank you. <laughs> I know, right? I expect there to be goat things coming my way. <laughs> now, my point in all of this is, one, please pray that I get a goat. Two, <laughs> sometimes there is a difference between uh, the traditional meaning of a word and the way that the word is used culturally. And this is very important when it comes to this phrase, the word of God. In the Christian culture, okay, the, the phrase, the will of God, has adopted a meaning that extends a bit beyond the biblical meaning, okay? Uh, I'll just tell you what that is. Typically, in the Christian culture, in Christian context, in Christian conversation... When someone's talking about God, God's will, they're talking about a, a particular, a special direction for one's life. That's what they mean. I want to know God's will for me. That's, a, that's talking about a specific direction for one's life in particular. So for example, you can, I hear this all the time, I'm, I'm seeking out God's will on where I should go to college. That's a particular direction for one's life. Or someone is trying to find a job and so you ask them, hey, have you gotten a job yet? And they say, no, not yet. I'm just just waiting on God to reveal his will. It's a specific direction for that person's life. Sometimes we even use it in a way that I would say is a bit negative. We use it to justify our actions. We say, well, I know that's God's will for me, so... And then whatever comes after that. Now, I'm not slamming these uses at all, except for that last one a bit, uh, because this is a good thing. We should be seeking out God for our direction in our daily lives, for us particularly. But where we get in trouble is when we take that meaning and we read it back into Scripture, right? We read it back into Scripture to think it to mean that it thinks it, sorry to, to, to think that it means something that it does not. Right? Most of the time, when we read the phrase God's will in the Bible, particularly in the New Testament, and almost every time with the Apostle Paul. What we should read is not special directions for one's life, but a deep and abiding understanding of the revelation of Christ and all the implications that come from that. Not just in our lives, but in the whole of creation. Okay? Let me say that again. When we read the phrase in the Bible, God's will, we should understand it to mean a deep, abiding understanding of the revelation of Christ and all the implications of Christ's actions. Not just in our lives, but all of creation. And I know that's a heavy definition, so let me give you another way of saying it. The phrase God's will in Scripture really means God's ultimate plan to restore all things in Christ. It's almost specific every single time. It's exactly what it's talking about. It's not His specific plan for you, but His ultimate plan for all in Christ. And you need to make that distinction. Not his specific plan for you, but his ultimate plan for all in Christ. That's what he means. God's will is culminated in the person and work of Jesus Christ. God's will is seen explicitly in the gospel, in its totality. The incarnation, the life, the ministry, the crucifixion, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension, and eventually his return... We see God's ultimate plan for humanity, His ultimate will for all. That all things would belong to Jesus, that all of the creation would worship Jesus, that all people would believe in Jesus, that all who believe would be restored in Jesus, and that all who are restored would live for Jesus. That's what it means when it talks about God's will in Scripture, not about a specific nuance answer to a question, but big picture, what Christ is doing in the world for all. So when we read Paul's prayer, that they may be filled with the knowledge of his will, what Paul is asking is that this reality of the totality of the gospel should fill us so deeply that not one part of our being has yet to be affected by its truth. And not one part of the world or one person we know or one place in the universe is yet to be untouched by that reality. If Jesus is real, which he is, if Jesus said, if Jesus is who he said who he is, which he is, if Jesus lived a perfect life, which he did, if Jesus did what the Bible said that he did, that he took our sins, paid the penalty for our death on the cross, taking away that separation from us and the Father, taking on the judgment on sin on himself, if he really died and was raised back to life, which he was, if Jesus really owns the world and sits at the right hand of the Father in all power and authority and is going to return, then it's all his anyway. Your money, it's his. Your clothes, his. House, his. Your car, his. Your family, that's his. Your body, his. Your thoughts, they're not yours, they're his. Your desires, they're his. Anaheim Hills, his. Your Belinda? his. California, that's his. United States, his. The world, his. Universe, his. It's all his because he paid for it. He paid the full price for it. So it's all his. There's not one part of the world that is remained unfected by Jesus' work, the ultimate plan of God, the will of God. And this is what Paul is reminding us of in the book of Colossians. He's reminding us in the Colossians of this. That we would be filled with that knowledge. That, that new reality of what God has done through Christ. So, Paul goes on to say that this knowledge, it comes with spiritual wisdom and understanding. Meaning, among other things, that, that this knowledge extends beyond our mind, beyond our head, and into every part of us. Into our daily lives, into our actions, into our decisions. That's what this means. It's all-encompassing. And Paul doesn't leave it there. He then goes into the implications, or the, the purpose of us being filled with this knowledge of God's will in Christ. He says so. He says, the purpose for being filled with God's will is so that you may walk in a manner worthy of Him, to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Just imagine this for a minute with me. Imagine for a minute you're a professional athlete and you've contracted a severe lung disease. You've just found out that the diagnosis is is total. For you to ever compete again, you have to get brand new lungs. It's the only way it's going to work. One day a fan, perfectly healthy, gives up his lungs to you so that you can compete again. Now imagine after the surgery, after the recovery, everything's good, and you decide that you're no longer going to compete. Would that not be a huge slap in the face to the guy who gave up his lungs for you so that you could compete? Church, we are not given new life in Christ to pursue our own comfort. We're not given freedom from the punishment of sin to go on sinning without care. We're not given grace so that we can now act however we want towards others and not give grace to others. We were given Christ so that we may honor Christ. We were given Christ, and now we must see our lives as vessels that seek to please Him in all respects. And this is something that's not passive in its nature. It's active. Walk. Walk please him bear fruit increase these things require energy and effort when we are filled with the knowledge of god's will in christ we are driven to actively live for him forsaking all else picking up our cross daily and follow him we now seek to honor him that's what this is about we seek to honor him please him and everything continually doing good and increasing in our knowledge of him and the good he's done for us. That's what our lives now look like. And so what Paul does lastly here, at the last part of this prayer, is he continues this prayer and he asks that the Colossian church be strengthened. Be strengthened with all power, according to his, God's glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified them, us, to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, for he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. Essentially, what Paul is praying is that those in Colossae would not just want to be filled with the knowledge of God's will and not just want to walk in a manner worthy of the calling at which they've been called, but that God would strengthen them to actually do it, right? Notice that they're not strengthened with a power that comes from within themselves, but according to the very power of God himself, his glorious might. This theme flows throughout all of these verses, actually. When Paul prays that they would be filled, it's not something something that's being done to them. They're being filled. They're not filling themselves. They're being filled. Their strengthening comes from God, just as their inheritance comes from God. In verse 12, and just as they're rescuing from the domain of darkness and their redemption and their forgiveness... In verse 13, comes from God. And so the response is thanks to God. And so what we have here is actually very important for for us to hear correctly. We do not fill up ourselves with the knowledge of God's will. With wisdom and understanding. It doesn't come from us, but from the Spirit. That's what it says. We do not strengthen ourselves. Just as we're not saved or redeemed by ourselves. It's the continuing work of God in our lives that produces these results. Which is why Paul doesn't tell them to do it. He prays that God would do it for them. Right? So what can we do? Is the question. Well, like Paul, we can pray. We can continue petition our God to reveal to us the depths of His will. Reveal to us the gospel in ways, reveal to us Jesus in ways that we've never seen before so that it penetrates every part of our life, every part of our city, every part of our world. We can sit under Scripture by hearing it, reading it, studying it, memorizing it so that the realities of who God is increase in us and overflow from us. We need to be a people who who seek to know Him more so that we may honor Him more with each day. But the Lord is the one that's going to do the work in us. And it's going to be a continual cycle and process of growth. Amen? Let's pray and ask this directly from our God for us. Father, I pray that we, the Rock Community Church in Anaheim Hills, would be filled with the knowledge of your will with all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that we may walk in a manner worthy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to be fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in everything that we do. And Lord, help us to increase in our knowledge and understanding of who you are. Strengthen us, Father, with all your power that flows from your glorious might so that we may endure everything that comes our way with patience and joy. We give thanks to you, Father, because you alone have saved us, delivered us, redeemed us, forgiven us. You have called us citizens and heirs of your kingdom. To you be all the honor, all the glory, all the power forever and ever. Amen. Amen.